Welcome to Woolways Authors, the literary podcast that presents two authors in candid conversation. On this episode, we're excited to bring you Shelby Mahurin, the New York Times best-selling author of the Serpent and Dove trilogy, in conversation with her friend, Adrian Young, New York Times best-selling author of the Sky in the Deep duology and the Fable series. With great humor, they bring you into the world of successful YA authors who manage family, deadlines, and even home improvement projects while creating inspired spin-offs for their loyal readership. If you think it happens by magic, listen in. Inspiration starts now. Hey, Shelby. Hey, Adrienne. Good to see you again. (laughs) Good to see you. We can actually see each other on a little video screen right now, which is nice because we haven't been together in a while. Since y'all fest. Yeah, November. November. Mm -hmm. And quite a while before that Mm -hmm. um, because of the pandemic and everything. For a while there, I felt like I was seeing you like once a month at book events and festivals. and We had the everything calls too. Those kind of fell off. Everybody got busy. I know. We kind of got into this groove of FaceTime calls, like big group of FaceTime calls, which were kind of chaotic for a while uh, when you were, oh my gosh, when you were remodeling your house. I know. I was painting during the, painting my walls during the FaceTime call. I remember. This was so hilarious because I mean, like a lot, people say all the time publishing is a really small community and it actually really is like a lot of authors know each other, especially within categories. So Shelby and I being YA, in YA, young adult books, it does feel like a small world. But um, during the beginning of the pandemic, when we were just so lonely and we wanted to go to book events and we couldn't and everything, Shelby had just bought this big, beautiful old house, like Victorian yeah, style house. Yeah, well, I guess it would be Edwardian. It's 1902. Edward? Oh, was that when sounds it was fancier. So it, it does. <laughs> she's she's a regal lady. We're still remodeling her, by the way. Like so they two bought years it. Later. So we would like set up these FaceTime calls with groups and like everybody's face is like really tiny on the screen. And then there's Shelby with a huge paint roller and she's got it set up and she's just rolling paint on the wall as we're talking. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I want to be included, but I have to paint my walls. It goes goes in the favorite Shelby memory file for sure. I, you guys were like, what are you doing? Because you were just staring at my ceiling for a while, weren't you? Scraping <laughs> wallpaper, the, yeah. like all this stuff. And I was actually really impressed by how much you guys did yourselves. Was, I I would not have the guts to take yesterday, all of that Adrian, Yesterday by myself, I, I literally installed um, a carpet runner for my stairs. <gasps> By yourself. <laughs> it was awful. Everything that went wrong could have gone wrong. Like I couldn't, I had to use a staple gun with um, an air <laughs> compressor. <laughs> and we've had this air compressor sitting out in our garage, my husband and I, and um, he wouldn't let me use it for anything because he was like, I lost the directions and I, I can't remember how you're supposed to turn it on. And I think it can blow up if you do it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, no was pressure. Like, <laughs> No so, big deal. Um, you could blow up the house. Yeah. So but... I, I was so scared to use it. And my brothers and my dad were like, no, Shelby, you're not going to blow anything up. There are regulators on those things. So yeah, <laughs> I just imagine me by myself with this like huge air compressor and like my staple gun uh, trying to install this carpet runner. I couldn't yeah. get the staple gun to work. I, had, I reloaded it wrong. I like called my mom. She she came over to my house to help me load the staple gun, and I was just doing it wrong. There was nothing wrong with the staple gun. It was super embarrassing. <laughs> it was anyway, you, not the staple. It gun. was me the whole time. It was me. Yeah, there's and the, yeah, there's a lot of stories like that, like the chandelier. I feel like mm-hmm. I've gone through a lot of you know house drama with you from afar. All all of the projects. And you were doing all of this, I think it's important to note, doing all of this while on book deadlines. I know, which is my <laughs> fault. That's, that's me being stupid, right? Like, I can tear this carpet up and and write 2,000 words today. No yes. problem. Like, I'll write for eight hours, and then I'll do a DIY home makeover <laughs> exactly. for six. And then it's I'll so sleep bad. for a couple of hours. I know, um, that I, I know that it's a problem. I have gotten better about just, like, stop, Shelby. Quit being impulsive. You can't just tear out the carpet in, in, in two hours, you know? It's going to take longer than that. Well, I think it's because you're such a doer. You're, like, you are like you set out to do something, and you, you just do it. Where, and like, a lot of people kind it. of 
yeah, like people like mull over things for a long time and like talk about maybe one day, whatever. And you're just like, nope. Today's the day. I'm going to get up out of this chair. (laughs) I'm going to attack this project, which Uh, I feel like you do creatively too, actually. I'm so sorry. (laughs) We're literally right after this podcast, we're installing a new cast iron tub and my (laughs) stairs never-ending house makeover like you could have Shelby you really missed an opportunity here you could have done a reality show about your home makeover I could never have done that and I, I think it's funny that. because your house also looks like your characters could live there like all of your serpent and dove characters your house looks like a setting where they could like live that is just the most flattering thing anyone has ever said to me thank you so much I can just see Lou like on that staircase yes now with a new carpet runner installed so maybe because this is a write-off. Is this a write-off if it's like all, all of it's called my account? You, it's all for like, Instagram. Which turns all for Instagram, but also like you, it, you're a method writer. Yeah, like that's you can we'll be say. a method writer. Like I, I think the IRS would to, believe that, don't you? Yeah, I think they would go for it. Huge, nice little learning curve that no one told us about as authors. The taxes. Oh yeah, that was that was a really fun um, surprise thing to figure out on your own that nobody understands. It's yeah, like a I black still don't, hole. I still don't really understand it. Me, me, me neither, but that you have to hire someone who does. Yep. But and even that, then, it's she, like a little pocket, like a little black hole yeah. of like tax law and stuff when it's like you're not just self-employed, but you are a um, a creative, like an artist. And yeah, it just feels – it's wrong. It feels rude. <laughs> I still remember trying to explain the advance – like payment system to my accountants because they had never, I live in Indiana. Um, so in the middle of nowhere, Indiana, um, and my accountants work for my, my parents, actually, that's how I got into contact with them because, um, my parents are farmers. So they have all this like sprawling, like property and like all of Mm. these different accounts and lots of stuff that I don't understand. Um, so they'd never worked with a creative before, Mm. um, like as a, profession with an income. Um, so I had to explain how advances worked. Um, have you ever tried to get a mortgage with your advanced system? Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yes. Okay. Yes. Should we explain what advances it's are like people... first? So yes. we are yeah. paid, um, authors are paid um, by advance payments. So it's basically like you'll sell a book for X amount to your publisher or your publisher will buy a book for X amount from you. And then they pay you a portion of that X amount. Like when, yeah, up front, like when you sign the book upon contract, you'll receive a payment, like a part of it. Um, When you turn the book in is another um, common time Um, when it publishes. And then six months out, I think has become Mm -hmm. common. Some publishers even have a fifth payment now. I'm paid. I'm paid. I've got five. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it all varies by publishing house, though, what schedule they put Mm -hmm. you on with advance payments. Yeah. But when you go out into the real world, like a real life adult, and try to like buy a house, yeah, and like lenders and oh, it was a big thing. Tax people, yep. like all these underwriters are like, this isn't real. Yeah, they're like, wait, like, what is what is this? They're like, so they paid you for like a product that you haven't delivered yet. They could take this money right. back, like if something happens to you, and it's like, well, <laughs> yeah. And the contracts are very confusing, and so they'll read the like the breakdown of the segments like the payment um structure and stuff and there's like but are, are these like guaranteed or like like you will get this money like you know it's just very very confusing you feel like someone's calling you a liar like you're trying to trick it's the so bank. true it's like i promise it's there here are my bank yes. statements um yes well and my partner and i are both self-employed artists oh so, yikes so that makes and we have four children. So I'm like, man, we really didn't think about this. Like we didn't think about like the, the, that aspect of just like how nobody really wants to do you any favors when you can't really prove your income in a very traditional way. And we're like, man, these kids are like relying on us for like shelter. No pressure. (laughs) Yeah. We're like, oh man, it makes you feel like you're not a real adult or something. It's true. Whatever. So you just turned in a big revision like this morning, right? I did. I actually slept for two hours last night. 
I <laughs> I was like really struggling on the tail end of this revision. Just, I mean, not like with the project, but with just the time. It was a little bit of a quick turnaround, but also um, it just, I, I feel like I've been a little bit lower energy this year and I don't totally know why. Yeah, I you do. Like, we know why. We know yeah. why you're lower energy. I'm just tired. You're burnt out. I'm so tired. It's real. Yeah, I've been – yeah, I don't know why I said I don't know why because I do. I I got really burned out in the fall and just from working so much last year. Just you had so, so many projects mm-hmm. all at the same time. Yes, and it turns How many did out you have? last year, mm-hmm. um, three books. Which is insane. Insane. I, I mean, even saying that out loud, I don't want to slap myself. Yeah, I can't even – I Hush you. I, my problem right now, I can't even write one book per year and you wrote three. <sighs> no, nobody should be writing three books a year in my opinion. I just it, – it kind of all converged that way and um, it was like this – I mean, I guess you could call the stars aligned. That feels too positive for what that is. <laughs> <laughs> it was a horrible time. Yeah, it was like, oh, perfect storm. Let's call it that. Um, felt like a perfect storm where it was like things, nothing I wanted to say no to, where the timing was right and I knew it was going to be a really tough year, like work-wise, but also a really good year and like a year of growth and expansion. And so anyways, by the end of the year, I was really burned out. And so starting this year, I – um you know, have just been coming at things much slower and I'm not used to doing that because I'm such a like doer driven person. Yeah. And so if I am taking my time or I'm resting, I often feel like I'm not being productive. And so anyway, with this revision, I kind of was just moving slower through it than I normally do. And, um, I kind of got to the point where I was like, wow, like I, there's a still a lot to do in the last like week. And normally I'm ahead of the game. That's where and... I am every time I look <laughs> and I'm like, oh no, oh no. Yeah. So I was like working around the clock. And then um, I, uh, last night or yesterday, I just, I knew, I knew it was going to turn into this. I was mentally prepared, but I was, wor- I worked until like 3 a.m. and fell asleep. And then, like, with my laptop next to my face. <laughs> and then I woke up at, like, 5 and worked because I needed to turn it in um, at, like, 9 a.m. this morning was my goal. Um, so, anyways, I did, it. I did. I did it. I turned it in. And I'm tired but relieved. And, yeah, I'm getting, getting used to a new groove, I think, new patterns. Are you allowed to share what project it is? It was for Saint, which is my next young adult novel coming out. And it's the kind of prequel. It is a prequel slash spinoff of um, the Fable series. And so it's a book I think that everyone has been in your DMs all the time yes, for you to write, correct? This is this is like the book for the for the fable lovers, for like the re- the series lovers. Um that they just is such a fun, cool thing that happened with this book because from the very beginning when Fable came out, I, when I wrote Fable, I was very attached to this character named Saint and it's her father mm-hmm. in Fable and Namesake. And then um, I, you know, just had a personal connection with him, I guess. He's just my favorite character I'd ever written and he doesn't even spend a lot of time on the page at all. Um, but there's kind of this like lore about him that exists in the world and he's kind of, his presence is kind of always hovering in the books. And so I was very pleasantly surprised when the book came out that readers just loved him. And I was getting bombarded for Fable came out, um, what, year and a half ago or something. And just consistently readers are just like, write a book about Saint, write a book about Saint, write it, you know, write Saint and Isolde's love story. And I did this uh, novella about Paj and Oster, two other Mm -hmm. characters, and it was like a big surprise. And there were so many people who thought it was going to be Saint. And they were oh, like no. crushed. <laughs> they were like totally crushed. Like they were so sure it was going to be about Saint. And then I was like, it's about Pasha And then people were like, oh. <laughs> there are plenty of people that love them. But like I feel like 
the saint one was just something they just kept asking for it, posting about it online, tagging my publisher and like calling them out like <laughs> Wednesday books, make this book happen, you know. And um, so we did. I just feel like it was such a fun way for a book to come into the world. So I've, I've had a lot of fun um, working on it because I love that character so much. And I feel like the whole process, I've just had the, those specific readers in mind, you know, like mm-hmm. writing it for them and giving them something they'll really love and me getting to explore the character more. So anyway, that it's been a very, very fun project to work on. Um, was the process the same? For the Saint book as, a, as your other books? Or was it different because there was sort of the fanfare around it and you know that people are looking forward to it and he's your favorite character? It was different, I think, because the fable world is just so big in my mind. And actually, like, I, I, would, be, I would be very curious to hear your thoughts on this too because of the Serpent and Dove world and now springing off into a new um, spinoff series with that. It's the same thing um, where – you build a world, and like before, my first two books, Sky in the Deep and The Girl the Sea Gave Back, were in a very small world. Like it was a very small, like kind of more ancient, primitive type world. Um, and it was Nordic, like Viking inspired. And then we get into the fable world, and I got to build such a bigger world. And because it's on the sea, it's just like you can just keep sailing forever. What else is out there, you know? And the possibilities were endless. And so through fable and namesake, I, there were so many parts of the world in my mind that I really wanted to go explore and spend time in and all of that. And in my head, I was developing it and I didn't really, I wasn't consciously developing it, but I was just constantly dreaming about it and like imagining, you know. And so when I wrote The Last Legacy, I got to explore this other side of the world that was like not on the water, but in a city and, um, you know, kind of fables very much about like the traders who sail from port to port And then in The Last Legacy, we kind of got to look at this, like, crime family and kind of the more shadowy side of this world, um, which is very, like, gritty and brutal. And then um, now with Saint, I feel like because there's so much of that already, and even, like, in the Tides novella, other things that are just live in my head, um, with Saint, I feel like there's so many little clues and seeds and Easter eggs and, like, references that I can play with and it's been really fun like really really fun to be like sprinkle this in there and sprinkle that and not every reader will remember this tiny detail from namesake but some will and that'll be really fun for them to discover and then also answering finding like the like magician behind the curtain for like some of my own mysteries like things I don't really know about the world and then getting into the saint book and being like oh that's why this is like this or that's where this came from or whatever. So did you, are you finding that now that you're working on your new spinoff series? Because this world already existed. Yeah. Yeah. I am in the same situation. It is a lot of fun to insert those little Easter eggs that just sort of pay tribute to the original series, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Like it, it was, it was a little different with, um, the Scarlet Veil, because um, Saley starts as, you know, in Serpent and Dove, Saley is Reed's first love. And, and you know, mm-hmm. his, like, end love is Lou, and she's the point of view character. So not a lot of people liked Saley oh, in mm-hmm. Serpent and Dove. She was the ex-girlfriend. She was kind of catty. She was kind of mean. But um, <laughs> we, you know, growth. She had some exactly, issues. Exactly, growth. Um, well, I mean, to be fair, her sister had been, you know, tortured and brutally murdered by witches and Reed essentially mm-hmm. left her for a witch. Valid <laughs> yeah. concern. Um, so she uh, she did have some issues to deal with, um, but I really got to break her open in Blood and Honey. Actually, not not Blood and Honey. I introduced her in a new way in Blood and Honey. I don't want to spoil, but she mm-hmm. is she plays a major role in that book. And then in Gods and Monsters, she is on the page all the time. She um, mm-hmm. really joins the crew. And that is when... And she has quite she has quite yes, an evolution. Her arc is she has a huge arc, and that's only going to continue with the Scarlet Veil. Um, she was the one character. Let me let me rewind to get the full picture here. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was um, driving home from signing stock at 
uh, my local bookstore um, for my pre-order campaign. And it hit me for Gods and Monsters. And it hit me that we I was done. Mm-hmm. I'd been so um, like adamant that I was done with the world. I was done with the characters. I was moving on to something else. I had another idea that I had already sold my um, Greek book about the sirens. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, no, I'm done here. Um, but as I was driving – okay, I was done because I – cannot write a book in a year. You've written three books in a year. I can't even write one. And so I normally it's not yeah. normal. Let's clarify that for yeah. listeners. I don't do that all the time. It that burnt was, you out. It was right? a mistake. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I was also very burned out um after Gods mm-hmm. and Monsters because I wrote it. I wrote something like my deadlines always feel tight because I am a very slow um writer. A good writing day for me is like a thousand words, you know, um, I'm very slow. So, you know, especially with the YA um, timeline where it is expected mm-hmm. that you publish a book expected a year to stay timeline. relevant, to stay mm-hmm. fresh in readers' minds, um, that sort of thing. Like YA doesn't have the attention span I don't think that adult has. Um, so it is expected to publish a book a year, which means that the timeline has to follow that, right? Um, and so I moved houses I moved into this big house that needed lots of renovations. I got COVID. Um, There were some other things that happened all while I was trying to draft Gods and Monsters, which made it so that I was Mm -hmm. alarmingly behind um, on writing this book. And so I ended up having to write like 50,000 words in December. It was due Mm -hmm. in January. Um, So I was up until like three or four in the morning, like every night. And I was sleeping until like 10. And then I was waking up and I was doing it all over again. I wasn't able, I wasn't really spending time with my family, with my husband, with my kids, with, I remember my mom being like, when when are you going to be done with this? Because I miss you and I'd like to see you again. Um, And, you know, I'm like, I also want to see you guys, but I have to get this done. You know, Um, I've already extended my deadline twice and all of these things. So I was... You know, we talk about having creative wells in, in, um, as like a writer and I, I had emptied my well and I was like in the ground beneath my well is where I was at, at, at the end of God's. You were in the bottom of the dry well. I was like (laughs) in the center of the earth. That's where I felt like I was. (laughs) I was in the core of the earth. Um, and so I, I was like, (sighs) I, I, especially, um, you know, wrapping up a trilogy, there was just so much. The book just like exploded. Yeah. Um, I think my first draft mm-hmm. was 167,000 words, which is outrageous. Mm-hmm. A normal YA book is like 80, 90,000 words, and that's a big one. Yeah. Um, as, mm-hmm. For YA fantasy, at least. Um, so, yeah, your books are. Yeah. So, um, because it was the last book, I was, there were all these threads and, and that I was trying to weave together and like, you know, give each character a satisfying ending and their moment and the battle and there were gods now. And there are a lot yeah, of characters. Yeah, a lot of characters. It became an ensemble cast. And I, like I said, I had gods in it now and they've got, you know, um, mm-hmm. unlimited power. So how do I balance that so they can't just come in and save the day? And, and, and it was just mm-hmm. really, really challenging. So <clears throat> I will say too, you also, and you're going to hate me for saying this, you are also dealing with the massive success of the series, <laughs> which I don't think even you anticipated. No, no, um, I didn't. I had very and we're talking about your first low books, expectations, like your your very first books out in the world, and they just took off in such a way that I imagine that that also like made those three years of working on <laughs> that series like just so incredibly. Dreaming, draining, overwhelming. Was, there was a lot of like, pressure. All of a lot things. of pressure, um, mm-hmm. and I do think that you know that also the pressure sort of looming over my head, like, will readers like it? Will my publisher like it? Will it do as well as Serpent and Dove? Mm-hmm. Um, does did grind my creative process almost to a halt? But um, yeah, do you think that was part of? I don't, I don't know the answer to this, but do you think that was part of the reason why you were so adamant? Like I'm, I'm done. This is the end. This is yeah, the finish line. I was, you know? I was burnout. Um, gods and monsters was just such a, like a huge undertaking for me. Um, I'd never mm-hmm. wrapped up a trilogy before. So I was just like, okay, I I'm done playing in this sandbox. I'm going over there now. Um, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I sort of like spun out of control there. TLDR too long. Didn't read. Um, as I was driving home <laughs> after signing, um, stock at my bookstore for gods and monsters 
like two days before it was supposed to publish, I started sobbing on the drive home. Mm-hmm. It like hit me. I think I was listening to Taylor Swift. I was listening to like Lover or something. I was. I was Swifty. <laughs> and um, it reminded me of Lou and Reed. And I was just like, oh my God, it's done. It's over. It's, it's, I've, I've made it clear that it's over to everyone. Like, um, and I called my friend. It just felt so final. It did. I called my friend and my friend was like, well, it doesn't have to be. <laughs> mm-hmm. She's like, you're the only one who was saying it was over. Like, you, you don't have to say that <laughs> from now on. And I was like, well, I don't know what I would do or uh-huh. like for a spinoff. I, I don't, I feel like Lou and Reed and Coco and Bo deserve like some peace and some rest, mm-hmm. you know, like I don't want to just undo everything that we just did with a new problem. Yeah. And she's like, hear me out. What if you did Saley with vampires? <laughs> she just pitched it to me just like that. And I was like, what? I was like, well, I mean, Saley does. She she does have room for a lot more growth yeah. than even what she did in Gods and Monsters. And then I was like sitting there thinking. And I was like, man, I've got witches and werewolves and mm-hmm. mermaids and goblins. And I've got all of these sort of paranormal creatures already here, vampires would fit in super nicely, you know, and if Mm -hmm. they've been around forever, they would know how to hide their tracks. They would, you know, maybe Lou didn't know that they existed. You started pulling the thread. Yeah, and I'm just like, kind of like you said, like those mysteries of the world. And I was like, wait, I think this could work. Mm -hmm. I think this could work. And then you, and you can even like, what I think is so cool about that, and I don't, I wonder if vampires did this for you at all. It's like, things about the world that you didn't know needed an explanation mm-hmm. or whatever. And then this thing comes up and, like, and oh. you're like, oh my gosh, this actually supports this entire like architecture yes. I built unknowingly, yeah, exactly. which is the, I, I say unknowingly, but I'm, I am a really big believer in like story magic and maybe subconscious. Yes. It's like subconscious or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Just like, I, I feel, feel so strongly that like it's not it's not this like you're sitting down and just clinically building something I feel like it in a way it already exists and you're just kind of like discovering Mm -hmm. it you know yeah it's like you turn around it's like yeah which like it's been here all along vampires and vampires in YA I mean come on like readers have been no I'm obsessed with vampires begging for begging for the um vampires that come back like for so long and it's you know they're kind of popping up a little bit here and there um but your Mm -hmm. world was already very well suited for it so yeah that's where I was at so um I took it to my agent I was like hey (laughs) so I had this idea and she wasn't sure at first honestly um because vampires haven't really gained a lot of traction in YA. We like you said, we've seen some like um the beautiful by mm-hmm. Renee Audier and um Crave. Yeah, the Crave that series has been successful. doing really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but so my agent was kind of like, Well, could we just do a Saley spinoff without vampires? I really what if what if we did adult vampires like later? Because she knows that I do eventually want to break into adult. Mm-hmm. And she so all of these things, all these factors went into us kind of debating this um and all the while I was writing my Greek book my siren book that you had already um, announced that I had already the timeline is just I could not make it up so (laughs) I'm writing I'm writing this Greek book I'm like halfway through it I'm 50,000 words in Mm -hmm. um we've kind of uh, my agent and I have tabled the Saley vampire idea because we weren't sure that my editor would want it just for the market and things like that so um I'm just trucking along on this on this Greek book and I was like, I, I would like to announce this book mm-hmm. if that's okay with everybody because, like, I'm tired of calling it my secret project. Yeah. Um, and so my publisher gave me the okay to announce it. And so I announced it. <laughs> and then that day, I'm not kidding, the day of the announcement, two hours later, my agent called me and said, so I talked to Erica about the Saley Vampire book. Erica is my editor at Harper Teen. <laughs> and, and she wants it. She's wild about it. She thinks it's such a great idea. She wants to buy it. And I'm just like, Oh, okay. So, like, after my Greek book, <laughs> which we were like, we we're selling as a duology. Like, oh we already sold God. one, and we were about to like add another one for the duology. Um, and she's like, so we were thinking 
obviously it's totally up to you and like what you're comfortable with, what you can do, but maybe we could do it before the Greek books. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, oh, okay. So would I get more time or, um, and they're like, oh yes, yes, of course you'd get more time. So oh, yeah, totally. They're, she's, they're like, uh, we just don't want to wait too long, um, from God's monsters to the spinoff. Um, so that's how all of that transpired. So then I had to go back after <laughs> I made my big, like, I'm writing a siren book and be like, psych, yeah. I'm writing another book. It's not that one. That one is still coming, but just not yet. We're going to take a brief break to hear from our sponsor, Bookfinity, and when we come back, we'll discuss our selections for a metaphorical trip to a desert island. Hi, I'm Carrie Mayer, author of the national best-selling book, The Paris Bookseller. So I'm not just a writer, I'm an avid reader. And since Always Authors is sponsored by Bookfinity, I wanted to tell you a little bit more about it. Bookfinity is a website that is built by readers for readers. So you can get personalized book recommendations, create and share your book lists, review books, and refer friends to earn rewards. You start by taking a quick quiz to discover your reader type. And once you complete the quiz, you'll be taken to your My Bookfinity account. I took the quiz and got my reader type. I am a heroin addict, which is so accurate because I do love strong female leads. Now when I log into my Bookfinity account, I will get personalized book recommendations based on my reader type. Bookfinity also has a like it or lose it function, so I can quickly like the books that I'm interested in or lose the ones that I'm not. And it has a unique review system that goes beyond a star rating. I love that I can review a book based on how it made me feel and recommend it to others. To get started, visit bookfinity.com and take the reader type quiz and create your personalized account today. Always Authors supports independent booksellers around the country. On this episode, we want to give a shout out to Boogie Down Books, a bookstore without walls for kids, teens, families, and educators in the Bronx, New York, and beyond. If I were to pick out three Desert Island books for you, Adrienne Young, the first one would be A Tree Grows in Brooklyn by Betty Smith, one of your favorites. The Song of Achilles. I've read it many, many times. Yes, I know. Um, I've heard you talk about (laughs) it. Did you say Song of Achilles? I did. I said Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller. It's a great one. Why are you laughing? (laughs) Because that's one that I was going to send to your desert island. okay. Well, it is a great book. (laughs) And then um, I'm going to go ahead and say Some Mistakes Were Made by Kristen Dwyer. Oh, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. I could read that one a thousand times over as well. Um, okay. I, my books that I chose for you to take to a desert island is Song of Achilles. That was the first one on my list. Um, because you know, you, you just, sometimes you need to hurt. Sometimes you need to cry. It hurts so good. Yeah. It hurts so good. Um, and then the next is I would give you your choice of a Bridgerton novel. Okay. Probably the one with Anthony that's about to come out that season. I was, I know I was wondering if that's the one that you would pick. Um, and then I would give you some kind of like encyclopedia of survival skills. <laughs> Physician's desk reference. <laughs> yes. Hollowed out yes. inside. Yes. <laughs> but I'm telling you, this, these were already my answers. And I was talking to a friend of ours about this. And I was like, because think about it. She's an Enneagram 5. She likes to be prepared. She like researches how to do something and whatever. And I was like, they, they would be the most loved book that you had on the island. Most used. I would, I would have well. to use it because I know nothing about yeah. survival. If you can wallpaper your house by yourself, you could probably survive. Oh, there's <laughs> a difference survival. between wallpapering and like building shelter, building shelter, <laughs> like obtaining food. I don't know. You would make it. I believe in you. Thank you. That is, that really is like one of the most frustrating aspects of publishing to me is that it takes the book to get so long through production, Mm -hmm. even like from the time you sign the uh, contract for the book, you know, you've sold it and the nature of publishing is just so slow that 
so many curveballs can come from the time you sign that contract to when this book is actually supposed to come out. Mm -hmm. But because of the nature of the industry, you're also supposed to be like announcing things, teasing things, making sure readers don't forget you Mm -hmm. and whatever. And especially in a market like young adult that's so saturated, that's a real concern, you know, like it's a real concern when there's a new trilogy or a five book series or whatever coming out every week. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like your readers really do only have so much time to read, so much attention, so, so much, much bandwidth to take in information. Absolutely. And then if you have a year between books, then they have started 18 other series mm-hmm. but from the time they read your book one to when your book two is actually available. And so then you have all these readers who are like, I'm waiting for the whole series to come out before I read it. And it's like, please don't do that. Okay, that's fine. Just buy it. Just buy it and and keep it, (laughs) you know, just, just keep it on your shelf for us. Because then like, this is actually a really big thing now. Readers wait. If it's a series, they want to wait. They don't want to buy it yet. Which I completely understand. I'm kind of that way, but I still have gotten in the habit since being on the other side of the curtain of Mm -hmm. I will buy the book and I will keep it on my shelf until. Yeah. Well, and there's such an emphasis on numbers, Mm -hmm. like especially in those first few months the book is out that if everybody is waiting for the whole series to be out, then your numbers aren't reflecting Mm -hmm. the actual reader interest. And that can, you know, has for some series meant – we don't continue. It, it ends. Yeah. You don't continue the series. It's mm-hmm. over, you know? So I think that reading, readers, like the culture of readers, and it's different with every age category, middle grade, young adult, adult, whatever. The culture is really changing right now, um, has been for the last like five years, especially. I agree. And I think like people just don't even know, like none of us even know like what, what is even happening? We don't know. And then we're making these decisions two years in advance for patterns that we can't predict, mm-hmm. you know, when that book is going to come out. And then, you know, Fable is a great example of this. And it's kind of similar to what you were saying, where I sold Fable as a duology. And I really wanted to write The Last Legacy as a little spinoff. But when I tried to sell it to my publisher, they were like, well, a Fable's not even out yet. Like, we need to see how it does, you know, mm-hmm. um, before we commit to a spinoff. And I was like, okay, well then they were like, what else do you have? And I was like, well, I have this other duology, which we call my, we call Fallen City. And so they were like, we'll buy that. <laughs> so, I mean, this is not how these professional conversations go. Yeah. Well, what else you got? All right. We'll buy that. Um, <laughs> but kind of though. <laughs> kind of. Sometimes kind of. Um, So anyway, we sold, you know, this new duology. Well, then Fable comes out and it wound up doing really well and um, had such great momentum behind it that then the discussion got brought back up again about that spinoff. And then my publisher did want to buy it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, what about Fallen City? Because... You know, same thing like, about, you. about that later. <laughs> yeah. And we were all just like, okay, I guess we'll bump it. And then, you know, Fallen City comes out and the Saint book happens. And Fallen City got a little bump again, Did you it? know? Okay, and like, I was going to ask if Saint is coming out before. Yeah, Saint's coming out this year, end of this year. Okay. Um. So, yeah, I like, I never could have anticipated that. And if it were up to me and I had a crystal ball, I would have planned things differently you know Mm -hmm. like I would have been more strategic about timing and even like with the novella stuff like there's just so many things that if I could have known ahead of time like I would have done things a little different but that's just how publishing is and you're just trying to follow the wave of very unpredictable um success for this book or this random series or whatever and we talk all the time Shelby and I talk about this we talk about with our author friends just there are books, there's so many books, like you can't make a book hit with the readership. You can't make it do it. You know, we see this happen where publishers will put everything behind a book and just, you know, try to make it blow up. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's in Times Square on a huge billboard. And they like put the author on all these like huge media they outlets. They really put and, like, like the marketing behind a book. Yeah. They like really, really come after it. And... It's not 
enough a lot of times to actually make readers fall in love and get excited about And then a book. you see the and opposite where a book is yes. so quiet and then it just explodes. Exactly. Yeah. That makes me think of Karen McManus's mm-hmm. um, books because she, you know, she, her the first book um, came out and she why can I not think of the title right now? Not two can keep a secret. Is That's it one of us one. is lying? Yeah, one of us is lying. Yes. Um, one of us is lying came out one summer, one quiet summer <laughs> week, <laughs> summer Tuesday. And like I was I was aware of this book and everything. And uh, I had kind of been following her publishing stuff. And then a couple months later, it just lit fire like it just took it's still on the New it York is. Times bestseller like, list like three years four years later how yes. long ago did that come out it was before yes. I was nobody around, could I have predicted that no one could have predicted yeah, that you know no... it, you just see it happen good girl's guide to murder is another great example of that I love those stories like I love those examples of like where a book it, it wasn't you know just shiny advertising and stuff that just made readers love it it's just that book just caught the readership and just like caught their excitement. So even though like I love that about books it's and scary. about it's very scary because you can't predict how something's mm-hmm. going to go. Like a book could be so so good and really original and like whatever and I can think of examples of that too. Mm-hmm. Um and they might like win an award or something but readers never really latch on or something. Yeah. So Anyway, there's so much in this industry that we cannot control. I have Mm -hmm. to tell myself this all the time because sometimes, you know, the pressure does build and it's like, I I have to, my next book has to be my best book. It has to be the one that like, quote unquote, breaks out, you know, but Mm -hmm. we cannot do anything about it. All that we can do is write the best book that we can. And I'm trying to internalize that. Like, yeah, it can be your, your next book can be your best book in terms Mm -hmm. of story, in terms of like craft. Because you can control that, but you have no idea what the reception of it is going to be. Yeah, you're totally right. I think I've tried to really shift my perspective from like those outward markers of mm-hmm. success because all you do is just obsess about like, well, what if my next series doesn't live up to, mm-hmm. you know, fable or whatever? And I've tried to kind of retool my brain to be like, more thinking about like I I want my next work to be my best work because it's the best writing I've ever done yeah. or it's like something new and challenging I tried rather than it sold the most copies mm-hmm. and whatever and of course we all care about sales like yeah that's you, why you we're have here. to yeah you have to care <laughs> like, otherwise you won't be here for very long um, right and there are authors who don't there are others who are just like I just put my my art out there in the world and I don't care about that. I'm not that way. I'm like, I'm like, I care about my art, you know, but I also like need to feed my children. Yeah. So it's kind of, there's like a dichotomy there. I mean, truly, um, I do, I am sort of the breadwinner, breadwinner for my family now. So that is a factor that is a variable Mm -hmm. that you can't ignore, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. We, so I became the breadwinner during the pandemic because like I already was publishing books. I already, you know, um, was making a living off of my books, but when my um, partner is in film production and documentary work and that stopped Mm -hmm. completely, like all of his shoots got canceled, all, you know, everything completely shut down and um, his job just went away, literally went away on pause. And then on top of that, because we have four children, the schools shut down. Mm -hmm. So all of the kids, and we don't have like four teenagers. We, at the time, had a four-year-old at the beginning of the pandemic. So we have like, you know, this age range of kids who now are home all day and need supervision and they need help with their distance learning. So my partner had to become a uh, homeschooling, uh, stay-at-home dad for the first time. And like it all shifted to me and like me being able to um really make up the deficit of which his income which was a motivating factor for you to take on oh, yeah. all the projects that you took on last year yeah that was a big reason and I, I recently was talking to somebody about this they're like you're just so ambitious and you're you know you uh whatever like their perspective on all the work I've done in the last year and a half or whatever 
was really about me just being so ambitious. And I'm like, I am ambitious by nature, but also like the, the pandemic put my family in a very scary place. It was a necessity. And yes. And so I didn't know what the future held for publishing, for my partner's job, for my kid's school, nothing. And so I definitely, all of that stuff, me saying yes to every opportunity I could possibly get my hands on that year was about that. It really was. And it was about security and all of those things. And I think, you know, from the outside, it looks like, oh, she's just like so driven and, you know, has what you are. I am. But also there's this very practical side of like, I just also needed to really make sure that my family was secure. And so anyway, I don't remember how we got on that about being the brand. <laughs> I don't either. Where were we at? Um, we were talking about the industry changing. Yeah. I don't remember either. I don't know. But. It's gone. TikTok. I was going to say this <gasps> earlier. Has been huge, I feel like, with. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, I remember. We were talking about how we can't control our book's yes. reception. Um, and some books come out you know, and just take off and nobody could have predicted it versus yeah. the books. You were talking about the pressure, yeah. the pressure that you can feel. What I was going to say is that TikTok, I feel like, has been huge to the publishing industry um, mm-hmm. in terms of books taking off. Um, we've seen yeah. – there are, like, several examples, um, and I cannot remember the titles of the books, but a lot of, like – Indie pub and self pubs are now in yes. Barnes and Noble because of TikTok, mm-hmm. which is incredible. The power that, yeah. that these teenagers wield, like it's amazing. There's a real evolution happening right now in regards to all of that. Like, and again, never could have been predicted. Nope. Publishing didn't see it. Authors didn't see it. Readers didn't see it. Like, nobody saw TikTok coming. Before the pandemic, I didn't even know what TikTok was. Like, I heard – I think my mother-in-law, she's very hip. She said something about how yeah. she was on TikTok, and I was like, what's that? Okay, that's just another, like, throwaway app. You know, I was the old person yeah. in that situation who was like, no, it'll never take yeah, off. the potential – I don't – nobody considered the implications on our industry because there's, you know – there, it, it with social media, like there's been Bookstagram, Book Twitter, mm-hmm. um, Booktube, all these things. And I, I mean, they all sort of I have a season, it, right? Right. And I, I guess it was a, a natural thing for there to become a book talk mm-hmm. as well. But those other platforms have not had nearly the effect and influence that we have seen with book talk. It is, I mean, book talk is like bankrolling publishing. It is. It's, it's so just, it's scary, but it's exciting, but it, and it's like, I'm fascinated by it all at the same time, like all at the same time. I know. And it's like, well, what, what makes book talk get excited about something? And this is actually really interesting too, because now there's a lot of, um, it's already changing again because there's a lot, you know, book talk is doing all this amazing stuff and selling so many books, but now a lot of book talkers are, um, paid advertisers, mm-hmm. you know, and sort of like a bookstagram tour, like a publisher would. Right. So rightfully so publishers are partnering. Mm-hmm. Um, they've seen the benefit of book talk and they're there. partnering with book talkers. And so a lot of like placements and stuff are, um, being like paid now. And I was recently talking to a book talker who was saying, you know, the really interesting thing is I don't get nearly the engagement on something that was like an, like a placed ad sponsored post. Yeah. As if I just share some book I just got really excited about. And so again, you can't create it. That's true. You can't force it. You cannot force people to get excited about a book, like, or a movie or a TV show. Like, those word of mouth, you have to watch this tonight. Like, stop what you're that doing passion. and buy this book. Yeah, like, that stuff just, you can't conjure it. And I think that people can sense when it's fake, you know? <laughs> it's so true, though. Ugh. And it's so it's so frustrating, though, because you see, like, something like Book Talk that has such potential. And, like, you're like, oh, well, then get my book on Book Talk. Like, it's like, that I easy. Book Talk, has, my fingers. book Talk has played a huge, huge role for Fable. It has like, for Serpent and Dove as well. 
yeah, the disdain, sustained discoverability mm-hmm. of that series is, I owe so much of that to book talk and I'm not even on TikTok. Um, I'm not either, but it's also become like a placement thing in, in physical bookstores as well. Like Barnes and Noble has a yes. trending on TikTok like table right there in the middle of yes. the store. Yes, and like end caps. Yeah. And I want to say I might have even seen one at Target yep. that was like books on books book talkers are talking about mm-hmm. or whatever. Like, so it, as an, as a, not just an author, but just like as an industry professional, like you want to be able to see that effect and that power and like harness yeah. it. And be like, oh, and be savvy, Mm -hmm. you know, like, okay, let's use this. Let's like ride this wave. But then when you don't, when you have this like element of truth, that's like you can't force it to happen. Mm -hmm. You can't force the masses to get on board. Um, It's just kind of like, well, then what are we even doing? (laughs) Exactly. What are we doing here? What can we do? (sighs) Yeah, and you like you want to be smart and strategic and all that stuff, and you can build the best goddamn marketing plan anyone has ever seen. But is any of it gonna? Is it gonna? Yeah, <laughs> track. <off>? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Oh man, we're probably making publishing sounding sounds so dismal. <laughs> no, it's there's so much good there. There's so much good. There is, and it, I on I think it keeps it thrilling mm-hmm. too. You know, just that like, air of danger. It's like the bad boy. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, it's like you don't know. You just don't know. I'm gonna pour my heart and my soul and my blood and my tears into this book, and maybe it'll do nothing. <laughs> maybe no one will ever read it. <laughs> oh my goodness! I felt like that about spells um, because I. I've never worked so hard on a book as I did on that one. Which is your adult and debut, everyone listening. Yes, in coming out later this year too, my first adult novel. And I wasn't ever sure that I would ever even sell this book. And I mean, when I met you. I remember, we, I, I distinctly remember we were sitting in some store. I think it was like a new mm-hmm. age store. Um, and <laughs> we were sitting on that couch in the middle of it because our feet hurt or something. And I was asking Oh, yeah, you, we were in the witch shop. Yeah, like we were in the witch shop it was. in Asheville, There were like yeah. crystals and stuff. And I was asking mm-hmm. you what you were working on and you pitched it to me. And I remember. Yeah. And now it's and here. I, yes. And I like I, – I had been working on it. It had been an idea in like different stages of the process like so long before that even. And – but I felt like that about spells where I was like, this is the most challenging project. Like I just, I, I, for a long time, I didn't feel ready to write mm-hmm. it because the way I wanted to write it and just like the structure and all of that just felt intimidating to me. And I just, I really had to like jump off the cliff with that book. Well, I've heard it's um, wonderful. Thank you. Um, my critique well, partner, I mean, Jordan. Thank you. Whoever has said read that. it and she just, <laughs> she loves it so much. She oh, yeah, couldn't, Jordan yeah, read she it, couldn't. Yeah. Couldn't speak yeah. highly enough. About I'm so it. excited for it to come out. I'm so excited. But I, this, I mean, my point was going to be exactly that that, like, I'm so proud of this book and I feel like it made me a better, stronger storyteller. And there's just no way to know. Like, we're months out from it coming out and, like, there's no way to know mm-hmm. what will happen with it. But that doesn't But you did all that you could fact. do, which was right. I know book. I did yep. my best. I know I gave my very best work. And I'm super proud of that. And then while we're – since we're already, like, on this subject, then it makes me think of Colleen Hoover, the author, romance author, whose books who that came out six, eight years ago suddenly took off and are selling more copies than, like, any book in America right because now. Because of TikTok, right? Because of TikTok, yep. yeah. And so then I, I also, like – you never know. Could, like a yep. book could come out really sleepy and like not really do anything and then or eight just years down the road. Like, <laughs> yeah. And then eight years down the road, someone like makes it into a TV show and then like the whole world discovers it and like all these things. So you you really it's, can just never it's see. So interesting. There is no timeline. There is no like one true path. Yeah. In publishing. I, I wish there was. <laughs> It'd make it a lot easier. It does it does feel like a journey to Mordor sometimes. <laughs> Like, uh, but I also would not rather do, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rather be doing anything else. It's so else. true. It's so I true. I really wouldn't. I, um, it's like under deadline, un- under deadline, I get really stressed out and I, and I feel like I'm sort of like flying apart at the seams, right? Because I'm like, I have to mm-hmm. write X amount of words a day. It has to be, they have to be better than the words I wrote yesterday and all of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it really 
feels kind of like an axe over my head, but it's amazing. So I've been feeling this way even with the Scarlet Veil because it's such a tight deadline. Um, and I spoke to my agent just like two days ago after we talked. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we figured some things out there with the deadline. So it's not quite as tight. And it was like oh, good. a noose loosening around my neck. And all of a sudden it was like, mm-hmm. I want to go write that book. Like I'm like itching to oh, get back into the story. And what that really told me was yeah. that it's like, this is where I'm supposed to be. Like I do mm-hmm. love storytelling. Like I have a passion for it, um, which was really affirming. Just I'm so happy. Yeah, it was. Uh, so I'm literally. I think it's very there, natural, like, though. Very natural to go through those like questioning, like dips. Yeah. Just like I don't know, like ugh, just so much. But it does. It does really affect your ability to want to tell the story when you feel like you have to tell mm-hmm. it. And all of us start out writing books not on deadline. Yeah, outside and of, not kind with of outside readership. of the readership. Is where you write your right. First book. You just you write it out there just in imagination mm-hmm. land. You don't have readers yet, nothing. And then you get into the publishing industry and suddenly you're like, you know, have these deadlines and whatever. And I had never written a book having to write it. Yeah. It kind of feels like, like I had a always, pressure cooker. And it's like, okay, yes. get this done before everything blows. Yeah. Before that point, it was very much more like I have to write mm-hmm. this. Like I, I'm just thinking about it all day and I can't wait until my kids go to bed so that I can go write it. Which is exactly how I wrote Serpent and Dove. And that's probably how you wrote Sky. Yeah. Oh, totally. And then and then when you like are on deadlines, you're like, oh, I have to write this or else. Yeah. And then you start dreading it, you know. It does. Um, there is like a it's weird a mental flip, like switch in your yes, head. Yes, it's like a mental like gymnastics thing. I do think it's funny. We can talk about this for a second. I think it's really funny to think about where we are now versus when we first met. <laughs> it's so because um, I met Shelby – we met at um, an event up in Chicago. Chicago. Yep, with Andersons. It was Andersons weekend and in Chicago, and I got sent. I didn't. I don't think I knew anybody that was going to be at this event. I sure didn't, except for you. Yeah, I knew of you. And I was a debut. Um, you're right. Did my book only Sky was out? I think. Yeah, I and maybe and I had had Serpent and Dove come out yet. I don't know if it. It was. I think it was about to or it had just come out because this was in like early fall I want to say it was like August Mm -hmm. or something um yeah actually it was right before uh, Serpent and Dove came out because I remember like one or two weeks later you were on that tour okay um when you hit the list and all that so anyway um yeah it had just come out or like it was about to come out and we both we had mutual friends that were like oh you and Shelby are both gonna be at that thing and you should totally hang out so <laughs> I was like we should have dinner and I was just like a baby baby little debut author who not to me you were I was like oh my god it's Adrian Young <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like don't say anything stupid Shelby <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we went we had we had dinner. We were at this event together over the weekend. Adrian got me we had super dinner. drunk. It started. We drank. We Asking drank me a questions. lot of a lot of drink drinks. We went to this really nice dinner and wound up hanging out for hours talking about like our life stories. Oh, yeah. I think there was like a good two hours dominated by talking about our children. Like two I I have a child and she has a child that are very similar. Mm-hmm. And so we were like basically having mom therapy. Oh, we were. There was like <laughs> Sort of religious trauma thrown in there as well. Yes, like so much it, religious like, trauma. We just really spanned the whole spectrum of like as we were drinking these like fish bowls of gin. Enormous. And, and I grapefruit I, gin cocktail like, things. I really live lived kind of a sheltered life. Um we don't have a lot of like, you know, kind of swanky restaurants where I live, <laughs> like what we went to. And so I was like, I've never had gin. I've never had this. I've never had that. Um so it was. So I just like kept awakening. ordering drinks for Yeah, her. we did different drinks. Um, it was a very fun night, though. It and was. I, it may, it like, makes me happy to think about now because I feel like also at that time I was still trying to find people to connect with in mm-hmm. the author world. Because when I came into the author world, I didn't know, I didn't have any author friends or anything. But then 
because that was just like the very beginning of our careers. And even though I still think we're, we're in the beginning of our careers, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that was like what, five, four or five years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, we're still like, just, we still are like little baby authors in a lot of ways, but also so much has happened that like we could not have imagined. I know it's, it's really, it's like nostalgic. It is. To look back on. Do you remember when, um, I was getting in my car to leave? Um, like the whole, like the hotel and everything. You were, we, we were standing out in the middle of the road, like as I was about to get in my car, and you were like, "So, like, are we friends?" <laughs> like, I don't know how adults make friends. <laughs> like, yes, we are. I mean, You're mine like, now. I should have just like given you a note. Like, do you want to be my friend? Circle, yes or no. It was wonderful. But I, no. I didn't. I didn't give her a choice, though. I just was like, "We're making this happen." This is it. Yes, and it's really, I think, really cool to have people that you've known over time in the industry, just so that you, because you need people who can root for you, mm-hmm. like you really do. You need people who can like get your head back on straight and be like. I mean, it's so true. Writing is so. It, it's a job that you do by yourself. Mm-hmm. It's very isolating, so it's super important to have a support system. Mm-hmm. It's both outside of and inside of the industry. Yeah. Like someone to validate your feelings, Mm -hmm. but also. And to grow with. We've all kind of grown because we all sort of met at the same Mm -hmm. time in our careers. So. Yeah. Yeah. I all started with those days of you, you know, painting on a FaceTime. It's true. With your huge roller. Fishbowls of gin. (laughs) It was great to talk to you. It's really, really good to talk to you, as always. I feel like books, book events are starting to come back, and we're going to like get to actually see each other in person a lot more. I'm very excited for that. Me too. Thank you for listening. Please visit alwaysauthors.com to learn about upcoming episodes, to read a transcript of this episode, to buy the books discussed here, And for more information about our sponsors, bookfinity.com and Buxton Books. Always Authors is an exclusive production of Atomic Focus Entertainment. Cheers.